I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with another installment of The Showroom featuring Jonathan Marvel. We're talking about urban development, functional city planning, and sustainable design. John Marvel is a highly decorated architect with offices in New York and his his birthplace, Puerto Rico. He's creating some elegant and exquisite modern work in some of the most highly congested spaces using sustainable materials and adding green spaces. When I use the word elegant as a descriptor, it's it's not a throwaway line. It's heartfelt. We're going to discuss and focus on some of his projects here so you can hear the methods and strategy behind the work itself, because that's what we do here. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your partnership on this project. The showroom is a collaborative effort between Walker Zanger and Convo by Design. We look to deconstruct the work through conversations with their creators. We do this to better understand how the work serves those who use these spaces, as well as to understand and improve how the industry can better serve those who create. Enjoy this episode of Convo by Design featuring architect John Marvel. Are you subscribing to the podcast? If not, please do, so you get every episode automatically when they're published. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts, and now you can find us on Design Network you can find us on designnetwork.org, a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture. So make sure to check it out. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us in the showroom with Walker Zanger. We're joined today by John Marvel, and our host is Josh Cooperman of Convo by Design. Uh, My name is Erica with Walker Zanger. We welcome any questions that you may have. Please do use the chat feature within Zoom, and we'll be sure to address those questions either throughout the conversation that we're having or right at the end. But with that, welcome everyone, and over to you, Josh. Thanks, Erica. Uh, Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Again, my name is Josh Cooperman. I'm the host and publisher of Convo by Design, a podcast for the design and architecture space. Um, We started putting these conversations together. By the way, this is the showroom. It is a partnership between Walker Zanger and Convo by Design. We started putting these together at a time where you're all familiar with it because we all got Zoom at the same time where we could not meet in person anymore and have these conversations. So now uh, we've been having these virtually and what it's done is it's sort of served as as a temporary placeholder for those events that we love sitting in the audience and seeing these panels in person. So thank you very much for joining us. If you like this conversation, and I hope you do, you will be able to listen to it again by subscribing to Convo by Design And if you do subscribe, uh, you can find the podcast everywhere you get your favorite shows. And if you do subscribe, you will receive uh, automatic updates the moment these uh, conversations are published. So please do uh, subscribe. Uh, Down at the bottom, bottom, you will notice the chat feature. If you have any questions during our conversation uh, for for John, for myself, for Erica, please go ahead and type those in and uh, we will address those as uh, as they make sense during the course of our conversation. With that, um, wanted to welcome John Marvel to the showroom. John, thanks, thanks for coming out today. Thanks for being here. 
You're welcome, Josh. And thank you for all you're doing for the design community and for keeping us spiritually aligned with, with, our, with each other and what we do and uh, blessings on the show. May, may, it can, may it go on forever. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. With that, I kind of wanted where I like to start is is with a with a good origin story. Um, I've I've read your background in your bio. I think it's amazing. Can you share sort of how how you got into the business and how how you crafted your your firm into what you wanted it to be, what it is today? The the we we all we all have a our you know unique starting points, and I feel very. Uh, pr privileged in with with my both my parents um, uh, being practicing uh, professionals in architecture and planning, respectively. My father, uh, an architect in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where I was born, and my mother, a social planner, also in San Juan, and they uh, they really integrated themselves into the the Puerto Rican community. Uh, with with a with as an American family, but I was born and raised there, and really grew up in a in a um, in a neighborhood that was um, by Puerto Rican standards middle class, which would put that in in a a poverty section within the United States. And so I I grew up in a in a in a in a with a network of people uh, that 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 was very important to me. Uh, as a, as a child, you know, the exploring and having no, no relatives of, of blood relatives, but having a, 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 an, an interconnected network of, of neighbors that, that was so uh, vital uh, and, and, and the sharing that happens and the, the, um, the, the, the living, basically living outside all the time. But, ha but having professional parents, um, I, I, I understood early on that architecture was something that I wanted to do since I was uh, probably four years old visiting job sites with my father on Saturdays, which is when we got to see our father was on the weekends because he worked like crazy like architects do. Uh, and so um, we'd, we'd go to construction sites with him. My brother, I've got two brothers and we'd go, you know, watch the workmen pour cement into formwork, wood formwork, and then they'd peel off the boards and then you'd see liquid turn to solid practically in front of your eyes. And I, it was, you know, I, I really associate the mixing of concrete and watching ingredients that were all separate that turn into a soup that then turned into a solid piece of, 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 of something. You know, I didn't really know what it was as a child, but, uh, you know, a foundation or a wall of poured concrete is so powerful to to experience. So I had that kind of firsthand experience. I was very privileged, as I said, to have that side. Um, and my mother being a social planner, integrating herself with the communities, the informal communities in Puerto Rico, documenting uh, neighborhoods that had no, no streets, running water, electricity, but documenting who's living there, feeling, making those people feel important, giving them leadership, so I, I, I grew up in this kind of parallel universe of design and, and social thinking at the same time. And, and, and I, as, a, as, as a point of origin, I, I I, I, and, and particularly in Puerto Rico in a, in a tropical environment where indoor and outdoor uh, is blended together and I uh, couldn't think of a better place. I, so I was very, very lucky. With, with that, I think it's really interesting as as you have this specialty for city planning, right? And and I'm I'm hearing you the artistic description of just of of concrete going from a, a a liquid to a solid and then peeling back the wood forms and seeing what you have. Isn't that isn't that exactly what a city planner does? Is you know or or someone who who looks at the the planning of an of an organization and a group and figures out okay. Here's what we have to work with. Here's infill opportunity. Here's how the city is changing. I've, I've said this for years. I, I view architects and designers as futurists. You know, designers on a much narrower scale of time, architects on a much longer scale of time. You're designing not for 25 or 30 years, but for 50, 75, 100, 200 years 
you're looking at what it's going to be. I'm curious at this point in time in a, you know, I, I know that we're all really tired of talking about COVID and the pandemic. I, I know that I certainly am. At the same time, we have to keep talking about it because our, our society, the way that we live, work, cohabitate, it's all changing. And it's changing in real time. And I can't remember the last time it did so in my lifetime. So I'm curious, your perspective on what an interesting time it is to be living as someone who's, who is so deep in city planning, as an architect, as someone who is crafting structures that, that people live in. Because remember, I mean, we're not, we're not crafting buildings to just sit back and look at them. These are to be lived in and used, right? I'm curious right. about your, your take on where we are today and what the modern city looks like now and in the very near future. Uh, you know, this is this. You're opening up a, a, a world of, of and a discussion that's that's so important to be having on on all levels and, and uh, with with all sectors of our society. And from a from an urbanist, urban design, planning, architecture perspective, uh, the discussions that 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 we are having. When I say we, my I I am part of a team. I'm not alone. And and the team. Uh, the, the we aspect is is so beneficial because we're very collaborative in, our, in 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 our practice and we have urban design planning landscape architecture architecture interior design all combined and we sit around now we we sit around looking at each other on screens but we chill and we also love getting together and but, you know the discussion today is the 20 minute city you know the we we want to have fully integrated, neighborhoods and within a, that you can within a 20 minute walk of where you live and where you work and where you like to play where you go to school where you and and where you recreate all of those elements uh want really ideally want to be within a 20 minute walk so that we we don't have to get in a car we don't have to put the pressure on public transportation and that we can walk bicycle it's healthier it's healthier for our environment and we've seen the, the, the carbon in our atmospheres go down seven to eight percent globally because in, with the pandemic. Um, and so that th this all speaks to a, a, a radically different world than the one that we're accustomed to, where there's bedroom communities and then there's working community work areas. And then there's places uh, uh, of, of, you know, the zoning that was that New York City and many other cities was based on was all um, use zoning so that you, you that for, for many reasons and very efficient ways and, and separating the people from the manufacturing and the industrial areas and a midtown, very different kind of dynamic from, from, the, from, the, from the living areas around it. But, but it, I, I think we're going to see a, a more integrated environment and out of, at a big scale so that we're going to want to adjust our zoning and city planning. We'll be able to recalibrate a little bit on on what can be done where, and and then within within a more smaller scale, building by building, we're going to see buildings um, uh, that are going to be more mixed use, where you have people working down below and living up above. Um, and there are many many successful examples of that kind of a structure. But when you we talk about um, you know, hotels may be more of a mixed use as well. And um, we look at the ground floor pedestrian experience. We see a lot of vacant retail spaces. On the other hand, we see a lot of vibrant uh, food and beverage places in New York City where they've spilled out onto the sidewalks. And, it, and, and it's this very dynamic public space now. Um, and uh, so I'm uh, we're always going to be optimistic as a profession. So uh, you'll, you're, you're going to hear me say that it's the, we're going to, this, the pandemic has been the toughest thing humanity has had to face. And, and we need to acknowledge that we all need to get, you know, pat ourselves on the back and help each other out and, and work on this together, not separately. But I see the a bright future because it's allowing us to rethink and, 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 and do pilot projects and test things that might have been more difficult in the past. Curious, um, 
sort of piggybacking on on that a little bit, you know, it's I, I've said this before, but I think it's really interesting uh, to it bears repeating. You know, when when this whole thing started, people would say, "Well, these are unprecedented times," and I was one of them. And and then as things went on, I started to realize these are not unprecedented times at all. We've had a pandemic just because we weren't there. We didn't live through it, but it happened. You know, um, we've we've had racial and social injustice issues. We've had fires, floods, earthquakes. I mean, you, you name it. Um, I can't think economic crisis. I can't think of anything actually that has happened this time around that hasn't happened before. What's interesting though, is if you look back at 1920 and you see sort of how the Spanish flu pandemic rolled out, the changes that were made in pr primarily residential architecture and, and design, you know, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it, it was really interesting the things that changed. I'm curious, this time around, you talk about mixed use and you talk about the overall concepts. H has this changed the way that you think about architecture, that you think about urban planning, that you think about um, what's currently, I mean, if, you know, just for example, millions and millions of square feet of office space that especially in New York City, especially, you know, in downtown LA, in other major metropolitan cities, that has to be adjusted because I don't think anyone believes that everyone's going back to work again. So I'm curious, how has just this changed the, the manner in which you think about architecture, design, and urban planning? And, and, and uh, such a powerful uh, way to, 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 to think about our situations to bring up the Spanish flu and I'll use the example um, that's that's cited by many that that um, when you look at uh, the during the Spanish flu, they, they didn't close down the theater district. Broadway continued. Today, we, we shut it down. Uh, and um, and that's that's why when I'm when I say that humanity has never faced anything like this, it's because we. We 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 basically shut down our systems. It didn't we didn't necessarily shut everything down in 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 1920. You know they kept going, and and then and then when they and and so it was easier to bounce back from that moment. Um, you know we the 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 world really shut down for for a a, a period of time that was that was devastating for very for so many people. Uh, physically, mentally, um, and 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 economically, and and so we have to really take a pause to say, you know, yes, humanity's been through a number of things, and and uh, and the New Yorker in me says, yeah, I was I was ten blocks away from nine eleven. Um, I was I was right on the on the on the edge of Brooklyn uh, at Superstorm Sandy. So I. And I, and I saw, and and New York bounced back, of course, from both of those. But, but it's this is going to be um, a, this is a much more thought-provoking bouncing back, and it's going to definitely allow us to look for opportunities that that we overlooked before. And and I, from a city planning perspective, I think we're going to be seeing um, a a a, um, a desire for more flexibility with how we use our spaces and our both inside and outside. So that all of a sudden you, you know, a, a parking space for your car is incredibly valuable if you're a commuter and you, and you come to work by car or if you need your car as a necessity, many people do. Um, but that parking space has a whole other value to a neighborhood to allow either uh, children to play, schools to open up, uh, you know, food and beverage businesses to open up, theaters to have outdoor. So that part, I'd let you know that that parking space needs to be flexible. That space, our streets need to be flexible. Our sidewalks need to be more flexible, and and our public transportation system, uh, which keeps on humming along, needs to be more flexible too. So buses 
are much more flexible than subways, for example. And so I think we're going to we're probably going to deploy a lot more a lot of different kinds of public transportation, uh, much more multimodal than we were before. The shared vehicle is going to become more important, and and so the flexibility of that I use as a, of that parking space is really an example about citywide need for for spaces that are that that can be flexible. And we did a study, and we'll talk about it later, like Union Square, about how how that's an example. And speaking of that, it's it's funny too, John, because you're talking about you know as an architect, you're gonna you're gonna stay positive and come from the optimistic side. I'm gonna double down on the optimistic side, um, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge your optimism and and raise you a little bit more in the context of. So here we are. Uh, you know, really interesting times that we're living in, and I. I want to put it in, in a different kind of context and look at it a, a little bit differently. You had mentioned Puerto Rico. And when they have all of their challenges, earthquakes, tsunami, power outages, flooding, just disaster, right? And folks on the mainland are saying, wow, I feel terrible for them, but thank goodness that wasn't us, right? And then you have what happened in Texas a few a few weeks ago, and I think I think it it sort of raises the point and challenges all of us in the design space to think about things a little bit differently and realize that the moment something happens once, the 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 chances for it to happen again are so much greater, and I think it would be naive. You know, it's I'm in Southern California. And it would be naive of me to say, well, those fires were really terrible, but it happened and it's not going to happen again. 20 years ago, maybe we could say that, um, but now it happens every year. Earthquakes, I could say, well, we had that bad one and it's not going to happen again. You can't say that. Hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, floods, it's all going to happen again. What's interesting, though, is how climate change and this is not a political conversation, right? Climate change is not a political issue. It's like either you believe in science or you're a flat earther who doesn't. It, 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 it pick one and it's cool, whichever way you wanna go. But if you're in the design space, you have to look at these things because they directly affect the industry and the way we live and the way you work. So I'm curious with all of the work that you've done in Puerto Rico, when when you look at the mainland, when you look at the U.S. mainland and, and say climate change, here is how our design is being affected by that. And here's what we're doing to address it. Now you add in a pandemic and there's look, I don't want to be negative here, but there it, it is positive to think that it will absolutely happen again. How does how do architects and designers help their clients plan for that. And, and we, we're, we're scrambling to, to meet the needs of, our, of, our, of, of the society in which we live. And I think the design professions are all deeply engaged in, in helping, uh, actively helping our, our, not only our clients, but on a pro bono basis, many other uh, very needy uh, communities. And, and, I, and, I, and one of the things that that we're learning is, and I use the word flexibility when with respect to city planning and urban design, uh, there's another word that's, that we all use, uh, resiliency, that, that really needs to uh, be uh, put into, its, into, into practice um, in, a, in a deeper way than, than we're seeing it in order to, to be, um, to, in order to adapt to the, the hits that, that, that we're taking um, uh, and, and, and resiliency is, is, a, is a way of saying um, we're going to, in order to, in order to survive whatever's, whatever's coming our way, um, we, we've got to integrate ourselves with, in, with, our, with our environment a little bit better than, and, and not have a confrontational outside inside or not see it as a battle, but see, but you've kind of got to go with the flow with nature because nature is much more powerful than, than we will ever be. Uh, so all, with all the technology that we can harness, 
we're never going to, we're never going to outsmart nature. So we've, we, we really have to um, go, we have, we've got to work with nature and we've got to really be more humble about our, our, our sense of selves. Uh, we're, we're so, we're so omni present and, and, and ever powerful in this kind of, in, in the industrialized world, uh, the, the less industrialized worlds actually suffered much less during the pandemic because they were outdoor, outdoors much more than we are as a, as a society and uh, other reasons as well. But, but I think uh, let's just talk to our kind of to our industrial world in which we live and work and play at the moment um, uh, and, and we'll continue because we know density is a healthy thing for our planet. We know that, that by clustering where people live and work and, and letting and frees up a lot of uh, land for 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 bouncing back in in a in a carbon neutral way, a healthier planet. Um, but when I but uh, this, so this issue of 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 working not in combat with nature, but but working with nature um, is it means decentralization. Uh, you know, we can bring up a lot of different terms of, and examples of what that what that will play out in our society. Um, Decentralizing the power sources in Puerto Rico was very important, and that's why renewable energy on everybody's rooftop, whether you're a, a, at home or in your business, is a, is with your own battery storage for the electricity that you produce, is a very healthy thing for Puerto Rico. Doesn't mean you're going to cut out all the power plants because we need what we call robust energy for manufacturing. We need it for hospitals. We need it healthcare and all the transportation, but we can decentralize our energy systems. And I think that's where the lessons learned from, from the Texas uh, polar freeze uh, tra tragedy was the, um, you know, it's a, it's a whole other issue that, w that we don't have to talk about right now, but they, but they made choices uh, because they were not investing in, they took shortcuts in, in, in all of their distribution systems, whether it was gas, oil, uh, even the, uh, they, they took shortcuts in the in the windmills that were generating because they didn't put in the proper uh, element in there to keep the system heated while it was while it was running and and it, so they just they, that that was a, a lack of an investment because they were trying to cut uh, down the price of electricity and and the free market system overran the 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 the, the larger needs of humanity so we're all going to need to make it a that extra investment in ourselves, and an extra investment with with this relationship with nature, uh, so that we can survive these these devastating and tragic um, uh, elements, whether it's a storms or pandemics or fires um, that that we're going to see more frequently for sure. Isn't it interesting that it kind of feels to me like? When, when you look at, and, and by the way, for the sake of this conversation, you know, everything else outside of Puerto, you know, talking about Puerto Rico a little bit, but everything else really is mainland U.S. You know, that's kind of what we're, what we're talking we, about here. We, we, we call it the lower 48, Josh. We, the, yeah, the main, we say lower 48 because, you know, mainland U.S. is, could be, well. Is that a anyway. negative thing? Is that a negative no, connotation? No, because, we, you know, mainland, it just means, you know, the main land, it's like the main man, the main land. It's, you can't, it's, it's very, it skews the conversation when we say the mainland because everybody else is the less land. So we have to, we have to, that's why I like to say the lower 48. All right, John, semantics got me again. Okay, well, <laughs> that notwithstanding. Um, so what's really interesting too is it, it's reminiscent to me of, of the industrial revolution to see all of this, and I'm not going into a history lesson here. I'm really not folks, just stay with me. Um, but it, it does feel interesting how there's been accelerated movement and momentum into moving into what I've, what I've been calling forever, the, you know, the flyover design states, you know, the, or design cities rather. So you've got, you know, Austin, Dallas, Memphis, Nashville, Kansas City, Boulder, you've got all these cities where people who have realized I can go live wherever I want to live now and still work remotely, virtually, or, you know, a hybrid of in office and, and remote work. 
and you talk about the value of density. And with that, we're having new areas where people are now gonna grow the density within those spaces which offers an opportunity. You know, living in Los Angeles, there's really not much of an opportunity to change the landscape of LA right now. It's not gonna happen quickly. You can do some infill projects, you can take some things down and build them back up and, and that happens all the time. Manhattan, you know, New York, five boroughs, same thing. You're not really gonna change the way that looks dramatically overnight. In some of these other cities though, you know, you get to a point in Austin where it has been completely impacted by that. Yes. You talk about a 20 minute city, Austin. I, I love Austin by the way. Um, but I believe that this, and I, and I think they've done great things there, but I do believe that they've kind of missed the opportunity to turn yeah. it into that 20 minute city you talk about. Mm -hmm. There are some other cities though, that really do have that opportunity. And I'm curious your take on how, okay. So how to do it smartly. And when it comes to urban planning, I think everyone that I've ever spoken to in design is always frustrated, regardless of where they live, at the inability to work cohesively. So that being said, when you view a city like a Memphis or a Nashville or, or a Kansas City, one whose story has not yet been written in the mm -hmm. same way as an LA or New York, how, how do you envision the, the growth? And, and I say that now because the next thing that we do, I'm really excited is to sort of take a, take a deep dive into some of your projects that I think will, will sort of drive the points home. Okay. Um, and, and so, yes, I think that, that our, our cities are, 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 are going to be in the, for the long haul, our, 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 our savior. It's, it's the way to go. It, and, whether it's a large city or a medium-sized city or a small city, it's we respecting the 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 the, the, the let's see the public domain. Cities offer us a, 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 a contrast between the, the public domain and the more and the more privatized spaces, um, and 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 cities bring out. Um, the, I think the best of everybody because we have to share that public domain. We have to we have to be more considerate of 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 how we live and work, and and we have to be more collaborative. You can't just stake out your your turf and say this is mine. Uh, you know you it's you I mean it's harder to right and it's easier to do it in a more uh, suburban or rural area, um, and so cities really force a a sense of collaborativeness, which I think is a good, is a, well, I think we'd all agree that collaboration is a positive thing. And, and that the, 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 the mid to smaller cities um, saw a, uh, because of the way uh, infrastructure was, was planned uh, with highways and, and um, you know, the large shopping centers, the malls taking away the, the, uh, the pulse out of the, out of the downtown so you see in the smaller cities today, a lot of empty storefronts. Um, and, you know, I, I think we're going to get, a, we're going to respect a lot more the, the, the powerful nature of, of, of the mom and pop shop, um, which is now a rare breed because we've, we've all learned to order our necessities online in the pandemic. And, and so retail is taking a big hit, but, but, but cities can do things to, to, uh, to, to bring back uh, the mom and pop shop with with tax incentives, with you know, there's a whole uh, pro forma that cities can go through uh, without taking a big dent in their in their financial resources about encouraging um, entrepreneurship, uh, encouraging young people uh, to 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 take a risk and open up a uh, 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 an enterprise of one form or the other, um, and. And I and I so I think our, we're going to see the health, healthier, smaller cities and mid mid mid-sized cities, uh, because of the that 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 wonderful uh, term that we use mixed use. You know, we want to have mixed use. We want to have people of all shapes and sizes and ages and colors all all working together. Um, and and the cities are the kind of 
the best mixer of all uh, for, for the reasons I, I, I suggested before in terms of the, pub, the public domain becomes really important and, and co, co-working and, and co-living. Um, it, we're gonna see some, some wonderful changes, I think. And, 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 the, and the winners will be the small to mid-sized cities. I think the larger cities have a, have a dynamic of their own but but the again, because I, I think people are not going to be driving to go to the mall. They're going to be walking to to do some shopping or get it delivered, uh, as as we've been seeing um, recent in the recent past year. So I I I, I love that you that you love Austin and and that I, I too feel like every, every every moment that that you can sort of take a pause and say. How can we do this better? Um, is is a moment of opportunity, and if, sometimes they get missed, but but sometimes they they get they get taken too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and Erica, I think this is a probably a good time to transition over to imagery. John, we're going to start with uh, the Pier House One Hotel. Can you? Um, it's it's a beautiful structure. Can can you take us through sort of the origin of the project? This is a project that had its origins about 25, 30 years ago with the the um, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey owning all of the waterfront land practically in all of New York City. And in the in the case of of, of this particular site where the where Pier House and One Hotel sit in what's known as Brooklyn Bridge Park. Brooklyn Bridge Park was started as a, as a neighborhood initiative with, 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 with some members of the communities around, around, the, the, around these, these piers that stuck out onto the water. Um, piers one through, through six in particular are the ones where that, that the park is now um, designed around. Um, and largely the, um, so the neighborhood said, we wanted, this is very valuable land for the neighborhood. Instead of having a commercial piers, let's make it into a public park. So when they, the city and the state, because the state is part of the agency with the Port Authority, made a deal with the city of New York. And they said, okay, we'll make this new entity called Brooklyn Bridge Park. And to pay for the, this very expensive, this was like a $350, $400 million park. To pay for it, we're going to, allow some commercial properties to be developed within the park. So it's unlike Central Park, which has no, no commerce within Central Park. Here they said, in order to pay for this, for the annual maintenance, which is like $15 million a year, plus the cost of the initial cost of the park, we're going to have some long-term leases for properties in the park. And so they, what we were, the part that we were involved in uh, about five years ago, they, the city and issued a, uh, allowed the allowed Brooklyn Bridge Park, which is now an entity unto itself, allowed the Brooklyn Bridge Park to issue an RFP to teams of developers and architects to put forth ideas about what to do in, the, in one particular location, because there's, there's about four or five of these uh, locations. But in one, the one in particular that, that this building now sits on, um, they said, here's a limited piece of land that's, that's up against the, uh, the, the, the street, Furman Street. So it's not on the edge of the water. It's just, it's away from the water, but it's still close to the water. Um, it's a, a thousand feet long and a hundred feet wide. And the only restriction that they gave to the design teams, and this is the only, and is a, a little bit of a, a good story to, to tell, but the only restriction that they put on us, there's no, no design restrictions, no use restrictions, you could do whatever you want. And the only thing you couldn't do is you couldn't exceed a certain height limit of the, of the roof of the building. Couldn't, it couldn't exceed a hundred feet above, the, uh, above what they called mean grade, the ground level at, at the base of the building. And, and this is a, the only, and the restriction was because they, they created a, a view corridor the only the only the only restricted view corridor in all of New York City is from the promenade in Brooklyn Heights, where you can look out to see from the Brooklyn Bridge down to the Statue of Liberty. You have to see to the middle of the East River, at those in those two points of of land, 
Broken Bridge Statue of Liberty to the middle of the river. You had to be able to see to that line visually. So the building could not encroach on that line. You could have bulkheads encroach on that line, but not the structure itself. And so the, the, we've just said, great, let's put in a, a, a hotel and a, and a residential building. Um, and and, and we, what we did, I think, in a unique way from why we won the competition is that we integrated the building and the park. So we said, we want the park to come up inside the building. We want it to come up inside the lobby of the, of, of the hotel, as you can see here, it's sort of indoor, outdoor, tropical experience. We wanted to come up on the outside of the building in terms of terraces and greenery that the building will maintain. So the residential owners of those units don't even have to maintain all those trees and, 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 and gardens that are up in the air. So right. we, we said, let's integrate it with the park. That was, a, I think, a really our biggest, boldest move. And so we bent the building. We, we, car we carved elements out of the building so you could walk from the city straight into the park without having to walk around the building. So we created these public pass-throughs, four of them in, in, the, in this long thousand feet corridor. When you work on this project um, and it's, it's beautiful, do you, do you specify all of the materials as well? Every, everything we have to, because we, 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 we present a set of documents and specifications to, to a contractor, they have to come up with a competitive price. So everything has to be specified uh, for that pricing exercise. And um, some things get changed later, but yes, we, we, we like to, to specify things that are, that are, that are locally made and locally fabricated, or if not, that, that they can be sourced in a, in a uh, sustainable way. So we chose a natural stone for the outside of, of, the, of the residential portion, which you see here with the, the terraces growing up inside there. And, um, and we chose a, 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 a way to uh, have all the units have outdoor space and, um, and, that, and, we, and we chose materials that, are, that, that came from the warehouses that sat on here before this buildings were built. There used to be some old uh, cold storage warehouses with with lots of wood beams. This is you know 1800s construction. So he, we took all the big wood beams and we recycled them into the flooring materials and the in in the building itself. So you could uh, have a sense of the history of the place. Uh, we chose a granite uh, that was from the from the granite where the Brooklyn Bridge granite. Uh, was 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 um, the the was quarried up in Maine. We we went. I, I went up to uh, a, a just south of Augusta, Maine, a little town of Hallowell, to find the old quarry where the the granite for the Brooklyn Bridge came from, or parts of it. The whitest granite, the whitest and strongest granite in in William Roebling's diary, and which we uh, met, which we read, we all read, uh, said the the. The whitest and strongest granite, I found it in Hallowell, Maine. So, yes, uh, aha, I'm going to go to Hallowell, and and so we, we, uh, we actually found some, some remnants of the old of the old quarry, and then the vein of that granite is called Quincy granite. So we we knew that we if we if we sourced and specified Quincy granite, uh, which is universally found all over the East Coast, um, that we would be sensitive and 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 playing off of the context of the Brooklyn Bridge, which looms overhead in a very iconic way. So tell me something. I just want to, want to dovetail onto that for, for a second and talk to you about your relationship with your fabricators. Because if it seems to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like you're, you're, you're trying to match the same granite, but you know, quarried maybe 100 years apart or, or fabricated 100 years apart. Um, you, I, I would think that you have to have a very special relationship with the fabricators that you're working with. Well, we, we rely on the fabricators uh, to, to actually craft the building because we don't, we're not building a building, we're simply designing it. And it's the craftsmen that, 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 that make the, that, that really make and shape the building. And, and that's what you feel and touch. Um, so we really rely on the craftsmen and the fabricators for for the success of our projects, and 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 so having 
close relationships and and being able to have a, a, a conversation about about what how can we work together uh, is going to benefit the building and then will benefit the occupants and, and the people around it. So the um, the 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 fabrication process is vital to the design of the building and to the long-term success, you know, 75 years, 100 years, uh, it's going to last that long because of the, the care that went into, in, in, in not just the specific, specifying the materials, but the care in how the materials get brought to the site and then put together. So we're always, always honoring the fabricators and the, and the, and the workers on the construction site um, and, and working with them and we, you know, answering their questions, uh, which is now so key to, to uh, in, in COVID, nobody, we did stop construction, there was a moratorium, but, but people went back to work. Uh, and now online questions, it's, it's gotten so much more efficient, uh, to a certain degree, a lot. So the building trades, I'll, I'll end here, but it, it, people have always complained that construction was one of the last things to really change with our new technologies. It's bricks and mortar and, and, and masonry and carpentry are the same trades that have been building for thousands of years. How come it's not, they're not getting up to speed with the rest of us with all the software that we've got? Well, it's now up to speed um, with, with, with being able to source things um, and, and, and being able to design things and have those designs go straight to the factory, have people on site send you uh, digital images. You can overlay a drawing on top of a digital image to show them how, how to answer that question. So we're, we're there. And, and I'm, I'm, again, very, very grateful for, for all the workers that, that put our buildings together. And it is really important. Before we jump into Union Square and the vision plan, I just wanted to make a make a note on that last image that we were looking at. The, the greenery, yeah. the greenery that carried up onto the balconies with the glass. Thanks, Erica. Um, just the, the way that this was put together, you know, I would challenge anyone to say, well, when I think of New York, this is what I think of. You know, this is a very different idea than what I think many would would say about about New York. And and certainly the challenge of of adding in the, the greenery and and making it look park like and comfortable, I, I just think is 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 simply amazing. And and I just wanted to make a note to that because I, I feel like the dichotomy is so strong and um, the architecture is really what brings that out. It's almost like the, the more structured you are putting the, the architecture together, the less noticeable perhaps it is. And by doing so, you've totally accomplished your goal as, a, as an urban planner. So I, I, marvelous job, I think it's wonderful. Thank you, thank you. It's, the, it's, a, it's a, always a, the, the most successful buildings and projects are when there's a uh, the perfect balance and harmony between the structure and the natural systems that, that we need to to be taking into account. Right. So with that, let's let's go over to uh, the Union Square vision plan. How did how did this come together? This is a, a an incredible uh, conversation that we've been having now for um, it'll be almost three and a half, four years with Union Square Partnership, which is the <clears throat> business improvement district that, that is in charge of the, the public spaces, a, a consortium of, of the business owners, the residents, and, and, the, um, and, and, the, and, and the institutions that's, that, that occupy this area around Union Square, very unique part of New York City, because uh, unlike, say, Central Park, which is largely surrounded by residential, Union Square is surrounded by mixed use. You know, people living and working and shopping and NYU and New School and so hospitals, everybody's around Union Square. So a lot of really interesting conversations took place and, and are continuing to take place. And this is where we step in as, as, as planners and urban designers and, and work with the community interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people 
of all ages at all times of day to what, what, what do you want to do here? What improvements can we make? Because the, the key to the success of any kind of planning effort is listening to the people that, that use these spaces. So we do a lot of listening and workshopping and, and then sift through those ideas and come back to the communities, come back to the leadership and executive committees and say, this is what we heard. Let's try these things out. So these renderings that you see are all ways to um, integrate the, the, the actual formal square itself with the streets and neighborhoods around it rather than isolate it with a wall. We're doing the opposite. We're kind of removing the barriers. We're actually in this image here, you can see we're trying to erase the barriers between the people and the bicycles and the trucks that serve the farmers markets, which, you know, everything gets to be integrated in a, in a, in a more um, comprehensive way uh, when you have that kind of partnership to, to, to lead the team. So the Union Square Partnership um, Business Improvement District, the bid, uh, was wonderful leadership. And, and, and it's ongoing because now after we brought these renderings to the community and, and have had some uh, community workshops, now we're getting that final layer of feedback from, from, from all the user groups in the, in the square to say, okay, how do you like it? This is what, this is, here's the, here's, Here's the, here's the big vision. Now let's get your reactions and how can we adjust it and make it even better? And, and this image here is, 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 is one of those areas where we're, where we're taking a, um, a, 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 a trial to say, we're not, we're not eliminating cars from New York City. No one wants to do that. That's not about, that's not what we're attempting to do, but we're just trying to redirect traffic to open up more spaces for people. So. Here we're we're redirecting traffic um, on on Fourth Avenue, so we can we can actually have a greater and extend the park towards the east um, in, in, a, in a special way, and and not have an isolated island triangle, but but in, but it, but really bring that triangle uh, in into the park uh, by by giving it a, a link for pedestrians to to just have a, a flow right across and not not have roads like Broadway and Fourth Avenue cutting it off. And it feels again, like everything you're doing is, is in an effort to craft that, that 20 minute city that you mentioned before. Yes. And, and as we continue to talk about this, you know, this is, this is the YMCA project in, uh, in, in the Bronx. Tell me about this one. This is a, uh, a, a, a an amazing project. There's lots of YMCA's all over the country. YMCA is one of the greatest institutions that, that we've ever come up with because it it offers through uh, through athleticism a, a chance to 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 get um, to 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 teach to, to go to get into learning and teaching. So so we draw draw in a certain membership of paying people that also allows some of the um, uh, people who, who have less money to be able to have memberships at no cost. So there's a, there's a mixing of populations, uh, economic sectors, and, and, and the Bronx in particular only had one YMCA, despite having you know, a, a, an enormous number of people living in the Bronx, there was only one YMCA serving the Bronx. So this is number two, and, and it's up in the Northeast section of the Bronx. So it's serving a a, uh, an underserved community. And it was a, a, a three acre site that uh, the city of New York owned. And we went to the site and we said, my goodness, this site has never had any buildings on it. It's got all these mature trees. So we actually designed the building around the trees. So you can see that's why these mature tall trees we were able to save. They're not just, they're not, we did, we're not planting little saplings in, in the hopes that in, in, in 100 years they're gonna be this tall. We saved those trees and we built the building around the trees. So the building kind of winds its way through the acreage in a very sensitive and delicate way. And, and the materiality, we, we spoke about materials, um, how important they are. Well, that, that, that rust colored base of the building is, 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 it is what it is. It's rusted metal called Corten steel and, and Corten steel only looks better over time. Uh, the rusting is actually 
a, a coating on the building that keeps it from, that, that makes it stronger and, and, and harder and, and the color gets deeper and deeper uh, in that kind of orange reddish hue. Um, and then that, that glowy top portion, and you're looking at the natatorium. So there's pools, there's basketball courts, and then there's the wellness center, which is to the left. They all share the court and steel. And that glowing top is a, is a, um, a material called Calwall, which allows light to come in. So you Hello. get sunlight, sunlight in the day and, um, and, and at nighttime they glow. And this is one of those connectors that winds its way through the, the, the existing trees, connecting everybody to the different pavilions in, 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 this, in this site. I, I love the, the nature of community planning and if uh, hey Judy there you go if you could just mute that for us thank you very much um John I, I love you know the whole idea of the YMCA kind of kind of fits this new idea of of your and I'm going back to to what you said you know your your idea of a of a 20 minute city and providing a space where typically groups of people who are who are not accustomed to interacting with each other um, are both interacting within the same space and it was designed for both equally and and you know in this case I'm referring to you know those who are who are paying memberships because they have the ability to do so and those who are are given memberships because they don't necessarily have the ability to pay for them but it's still this this cooperative living environment and it 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 seems like it's supposed to work that way. Yes, and it, and it does work that way. And we visited in order to to um, to come up with a concept. We toured uh, about a half a dozen existing YMCA's, some more successful than others, so we could learn what what's working and what doesn't work uh, in terms of materials, in terms of spaces and heights of ceilings, and how much daylight and and uh, because these buildings, you want you, they want to be maintenance free, of course. Um, so we we learned a lot about about by touring what worked and didn't work. Also, the different ages of people. Uh, I, I I love the YMCA. It's 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 they're, they're the, the communities that they serve are 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 blessed by, and and they and they really do have a broad uh, effect on and 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 the and this is a community in the Northeast that's been working together YMCA for 25 years and we met the leaders in the community at the at the at the groundbreaking who'd worked so hard to and they were they were so happy and these are people dedicating so much time to a civic organization uh it it, it just makes you want to cry that that people are so committed to helping other people um and 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 the Y was stepped right up and the city stepped right up and uh uh, speaker uh, Hasty stepped right up, and every, everybody in terms of the funding that they provided, because it's an expensive building to build. Yeah, and, and again, um, a couple of the things as you're describing it, how how you placed it, so the 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 topography and the why it's there, no pun intended, and just how everything was was really structured around both the neighborhood, but most specifically around the people. Who would be there to to, and what's interesting too? I just want to point out it it wasn't necessarily crafted the exterior exclusively for the people who were using it, but maybe more so even for the people who weren't necessarily using it. But it it wasn't just a a, a big industrial structure in an otherwise you know residential neighborhood. So brilliantly done. I absolutely love it. Love it. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. With that. Um, and this time, actually, it just flies on us. It really it, does. It really does. It's a great conversation, but time does fly when you're having fun, doesn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. With that, I, I want to um, thank you, John, very much for, for coming to the showroom today. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your, for your support. Erica, thank you so thank much you. for your support as well. Um, I want to thank you all for taking the time to come out and, uh, and be part of this conversation. As always, the showroom is uh, is a partnership between Walker Zanger and Convo by Design. And if you like this conversation and want to go back and hear it again, it will be published 
to the Convo by Design uh, podcast outlet. We, you can get us everywhere you find your favorite podcast. Um, and if you, you subscribe, you'll get it automatically. You can also watch the video if you want to see the images again on Walker Zanger's YouTube channel. So with that, um, thanks, thanks everyone for coming out. Erica, thank you. John, thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. My pleasure. And thank you for everything that you're doing for all of us out there. You're really keeping us happy and looking forward to the next one. John, thank you for joining us in the showroom. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your partnership. And thank you for listening. Without you, I mean, really, what's the point? You are so greatly appreciated. My hope is to bring you inspiration and sublime design through these conversations, to give you that extra push to be the most creative designer you can be, or if you're a design enthusiast, to keep bringing you new ideas. And I hope we did that here. Please make sure you are subscribing to the show so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X and ConvoByDesign.com. Be well. And remember, take today first. 